0: Welcome to this podcast, Fairy Tales Back to Basics, narrated by Sarah Waterman. In this podcast, we are going to discuss popular, as well as lesser known, fairy tales and their origins. You may recognise some of these stories, while others will be completely new to you. In the first part of our podcast, we will talk about the origins of our story. We will then proceed into the storytelling section or I will narrate the story to you. We will be visiting many different countries on our storytelling journey, which will help you learn about the culture of the stories themselves. If you are ready, we will now begin. Welcome to Episode 1. In the first part of our series we will be visiting the country of Denmark to discuss the works of one of its most famous writers. Denmark is a Scandinavian country, the capital of which is Copenhagen. Its official language is Danish, its flag is red with an off-centre white cross, its population is roughly five million people. One part of Denmark which is of notable significance is the town of Odense as this was the birthplace of Hans Christian Andersen whose work we will be discussing in the first part of our series Hans Christian Andersen was an author of plays, novels and poems but is best remembered for his fairy tales which continue to be popular around the world today He is believed to have written around 3000 fairy stories in total which have been translated into 125 languages and spawned hundreds of film and television adaptations. Today, we are going to begin by looking at a few of his shorter stories, beginning with The Princess and the Pea. The Princess and the Pea by Hans Christian Andersen Once upon a time, there lived a prince who wanted to marry a princess. There was one problem, however, she had to be a true princess. He travelled all over the world seeking a true princess, but every single time he found a girl, there was something wrong with her. Princesses there were in plenty whether they were true princesses or not he could never really make out. There was always something not quite right about them. Defeated and dejected, he came home sad. Now, one night there was a terrible storm. It thundered and lightened and the rain poured down. All at once there was a knock at the city gate, and the old king went out to open it. There, standing outside, was a princess. But what a sight she looked in the wind and the rain! Water was running down her hair and her clothes, in at the toes of her shoes and out again at the heels. She said, Oh, please let me in. I am a true princess. Well. We'll see about that, thought the old queen. She took the young girl into a guest bedroom. But before she got into the bed to go to sleep, she took off all of the bedclothes, and while the girl was not looking, put a pea in the bottom of the bed. Then she ordered the servants to bring twenty mattresses and pile them up high on top of the pea and then again twenty feather beds on top of the mattresses. This was to be the princess's bed for the night. The princess went to bed gratefully, and in the morning the queen asked her how she had slept. Dreadfully, said the princess, I hardly got a wink of sleep all night. Goodness knows what could have been in the bed. There was something hard in it, and now I'm black and blue all over." The Queen was delighted. This had proved that the young girl was a true princess. Only a true princess could be so sensitive and delicate to feel a pea under twenty mattresses and twenty feather beds. So the Prince, delighted, took her for his wife. The pea was placed in the museum of the castle, where it may still be seen, if nobody has taken it. The Emperor's New Clothes by Hans Christian Andersen Many years ago, There lived an emperor so tremendously fond of new fine clothes, that he spent all his money on rigging himself out. He cared nothing for his soldiers, or for going to the theatre, or for driving in the country, unless it was to show off his new clothes. He had a robe for every hour of the day, and, just as we say of a king that he is in council, so they would say of him, The Emperor is in the wardrobe. In the big city where he lived, it was always lively, and every day there were many visitors. One day, two imposters came. They passed themselves off as weavers and said they could weave the loveliest cloth imaginable. Not only were the colours and the patterns so very beautiful but the clothes made from the material had the magic power of being invisible to anyone not fit for his post, or hopelessly stupid. Hmm, these clothes sound rather good, thought the Emperor. By wearing them, I could find out which of my people were unfit for their posts, and should be able to tell the clever ones from the stupid. Yes. That cloth must be woven for me at once, and he paid the impostors a large sum of money in advance, so that they could start work right away. Sure enough, they set up two looms and pretended to be working, though there wasn't a thing on the looms. They coolly demanded the finest silk and the richest gold thread, and stuffing this into their bags. They worked away at the empty looms till well into the night. "'I wonder how far they've got with that material,' thought the Emperor. But he had rather a queer feeling inside him when he thought that anyone stupid or unfit for his post wouldn't be able to see it. Of course, he saw no reason to be afraid himself. Still, he thought that he would send somebody else first, just to see how things stood.' The whole city had heard about the magic power of the material, and everybody was eager to see how hopeless or stupid his neighbour was. I'll send my honest old minister to the weavers, thought the Emperor. He's the best person to see what the cloth looks like, for he's a man of sense and nobody attends to his job better than he does. So off went the worthy old minister to the room where the two impostors sat working at the empty looms. Good gracious, thought the old minister, opening his eyes wide, I can't see a thing! But he didn't say so. The two impostors said, Would he please come a little nearer? And didn't he think it a beautiful pattern and lovely colours? Then they pointed to the empty loom, and the poor old minister opened his eyes wider than ever. But he couldn't see anything, for there was nothing to see. Goodness me, he thought, does that mean I'm stupid? I never thought I was, and nobody must ever know it. Surely I can't be unfit for my post. No, it would never do for me to let on that I can't see the cloth. Well, have you nothing to say about it? Said the one who was weaving. Oh, it's lovely. "'Simply divine!' said the old minister, peering through his spectacles. "'This pattern, and these colours! I shall tell the emperor I am indeed delighted with it.' "'We are pleased to hear it,' said the two weavers, and they named the colours and the singular pattern. The old minister listened carefully, so as to be able to repeat the names when he got back to the emperor, which he did. "'The impostors now asked for more money.' and more silk and gold thread, saying they wanted it for weaving. It all went into their own pockets, not a thread was put on the loom, and they went on weaving at the empty loom as before. Soon the emperor sent another trusted official to see how the weaving was getting on, and if the cloth would soon be ready. The same thing happened to him as to the minister. He looked and looked, but as there was nothing there but the empty looms, He couldn't see anything there isn't it a beautiful piece of cloth the two impostors, pointing out the lovely pattern which wasn't there I'm not stupid thought the man so it must be because I'm not fit for my post that's funny but I must take good care not to show it and so he praised the material he couldn't see and assured them how delighted he was with the pretty colors and the lovely pattern Yes, it's simply divine, he told the Emperor. The whole town was talking about the splendid material. Now the Emperor thought he would see it for himself while it was still on the loom. With a large body of chosen men, among them the two worthy old officials who had been there already, he went to where the two wily imposers were now weaving for all they were worth, but without a thread or stitch on the loom. "'Isn't it simply superb?' said the two worthy officials. "'See what a pattern, your majesty, and what colours They pointed to the empty loom, thinking that the others could see the material. "'What on earth?' thought the emperor. "'I don't see a thing! Why, this is terrible! "'Am I stupid? Am I unfit to be emperor? "'This is the most dreadful thing that could have befallen me!' "'Oh, it's beautiful,' said the Emperor. "'It has my most gracious approval.' And he nodded with satisfaction as he looked at the empty loom. He wasn't going to say he couldn't see anything. All the courtiers who were with him looked and looked, but with as little result as all the rest. Though like the Emperor, they said, "'Oh, it's very beautiful.' and they advised him that he should try out some clothes made from this splendid new material in the grand procession that was shortly to take place. It's superb, ravishing, magnificent, they all declared. They were one and all most thoroughly delighted with it. The Emperor gave each of the impostors a medal to pin on his coat and the title of Lord High Weaver. Before the morning of the procession, the impostors sat up all night with over sixteen candles burning. People could see they were busy finishing the emperor's new clothes. They pretended to take cloth off of the loom, they clipped at the air with their great scissors, they sewed with needles that weren't threaded, and then at last they said, there, now the clothes are ready. The emperor and his chief gentlemen in waiting went there in person, and each of the weavers raised his arm as though holding something, and said, "'Here, you have the breeches. Here's the coat. Here's the cloak.' And so they went on. "'They're light as gossamer. You wouldn't think you had anything on. That's the beauty of them.' "'Yes, indeed,' said all the gentlemen in waiting. "'But they couldn't see anything, for there wasn't anything to see.' "'If it would graciously please your imperial majesty to take off your clothes,' said the impostors, "'we will help you on with the new ones here in front of the mirror.' "'The emperor took off all his clothes, and the impostors pretended to help him on with each of the new garments they were supposed to have made. "'Then they put their hands round his waist as if they were fastening something round. That was the train.' And the emperor turned and twisted in front of the mirror how becoming they are what a beautiful fit all of them cried what a pattern what colors what sumptuous robes they are the canopy is to be carried over your majesty in the procession it's waiting outside said the master of ceremonies very well i'm ready said the emperor isn't it a good fit and he turned round once more in front of the mirror, pretending to be really looking at himself in his finery. The Chamberlains, who were to bear the train, fumbled about the floor as if they were picking the train up. They walked along, holding their hands in the air, not daring to let on that they couldn't see anything. So off marched the Emperor in the procession under the beautiful canopy, and everybody in the street and at the windows cried, Aren't the Emperor's new clothes wonderful? What a lovely train he has to his robe! What a splendid fit! Nobody would let on that they couldn't see anything, because then they would have been unfit for their job, or very stupid. Never had the Emperor's clothes been such a success. But he hasn't got anything on, cried a little child. "'Dear me, listen to what the pretty innocent says,' cried its father, "'and it was whispered from man to man what the child had said. "'He hasn't got anything on,' says the little child. "'He hasn't got anything on!' "'Why, but he hasn't got anything on!' they all shouted at last, "'and the emperor winced, for he felt they were right. "'But he thought to himself, "'I must go through with the procession now, "'and he drew himself up more proudly than ever, while the chamberlains walked behind him, bearing the train that was never there. The Steadfast Tin Soldier by Hans Christian Andersen Once upon a time there were twenty-five tin soldiers all of them brothers, for they had all sprung from an old tin spoon. They shouldered their rifles and faced eyes forward, and their uniforms, red and blue, looked really rather splendid. The first words they ever heard in this world, when the lid was taken off the box in which they lay, were, tin soldiers. It was the cry of a little boy as he clapped his hands. They had been given to him for his birthday, And he was standing them on the table. Each soldier was the living image of the next, except for one who was a little bit different. He only had one leg, as he was the last to be made, and there hadn't been enough tin to go round. But he stood just as firmly on his one leg as the others did on two, and he was the one that was to stand out from the rest. There were many other toys on the table, where they were placed, but the one which caught the eye first was a splendid paper castle. Through the tiny windows you could see right into the rooms. In front of it were some small trees standing round a little mirror, which was supposed to be a lake, and some wax swans swimming on it were reflected in the water. It was all very pretty, but prettier than all the rest was a little lady who stood at the open door of the castle. She, too, had been cut out of paper, but she was wearing a skirt of the brightest muslin and a narrow blue ribbon over her shoulder, like a scarf, and in the middle of this was a glistening spangle the size of her face. The little lady was stretching out both her arms, for she was a dancer, and she had raised one of her legs so high in the air that the tin soldier couldn't make out where it was, and so thought that she had only one leg, like himself. She'd make a fine wife for me, he thought, but she's a very fine lady. She lives in a castle. I only have a box, and there are twenty-five of us to that. It's no place for her. Still, I must see about getting to know her. And so he lay all of his length behind a snuff box which stood on the table, from where he had a good view of the pretty little lady, who kept on a standing one leg without losing her balance. Late in the evening, all the other soldiers got back in their box and the people of the house went to bed. The toys then began to play, at visiting, at fighting battles, at having parties. The tin soldier rattled their box because they wanted to join in, but couldn't get the lid off. The nutcrackers turned somersaults and the slate pencil had fun on the slate. They all made such a noise that they woke the canary up and he began to join in chirping away in verse. The only two who never budged were the Tin Soldier and the Little Dancer. She stood straight up on tiptoe with both her arms stretched out, and he was just as steadfast on his one leg, never for a moment taking his eyes off her. Then the clock struck twelve and smack went the lid of the snuff box. But there wasn't any snuff in only a little black goblin, a tricky little jack-in-the-box tin soldier said the -the jack-in-the-box just you keep your eyes to yourself but the tin soldier pretended not to hear him all right you wait till the morning said the -the jack-in-the-box now when the morning came and the children got up the tin soldier was put on the window sill, and whether it was the -the jack-in-the-box or only a draft that did it all of a sudden the window sprang open and the toy soldier fell head first from the third floor. It all went at a dreadful speed, and he turned his legs up in the air and came to rest on his helmet, with his bayonet sticking between the paving stones. The maid and the little boy went straight down to look for him, but though they very nearly trod on him, they didn't see him. Had the soldier cried, ''Here I am!'' they would most likely have found him, but he didn't think it proper to shout when he was in uniform. Then it started to rain, and the drops fell faster and faster till it became a regular downpour. When it was over, two street boys came along. Hey, look, said one of them, there's a tin soldier. We'll give him a sail. So they made a boat out of newspaper, put the tin soldier in the middle, and sent him sailing away down the gutter, while they both ran alongside, clapping their hands. Dear me! What big waves there were in the gutter, and what a current! But then it had just been pouring. The paper boat kept bobbing up and down, and every now and then it would twirl right round, making the soldier feel quite giddy. But he remained steadfast and never flinched, eyes forward, shouldering his rifle. All of a sudden, the boat was swept under a covered drain. It became as dark as it was at home in his box. I wonder where I shall get to now, he thought. Ah, yes, the -the jack-in-the-box is to blame for this. Oh, if only the little lady were in the boat with me, it would be twice as dark, and all I'd care was her. Just then, along came a big water rat that lived in the drain. Have you got a passport? demanded the rat. Show me your passport. But the tin soldier never said a word, only clutched his rifle more tightly than ever. The boat tore along, with the rat after it, Ugh, how it gnashed its teeth and shouted out to sticks and straws, Stop him! Stop him! He hasn't paid the toll! He hasn't shown his passport! But the current grew stronger and stronger. The soldier could already see daylight ahead where the drain ended, though he could also hear a roaring noise fit to frighten any brave man. Just think of it, where the gutter ended and the drain emptied itself into a great canal, that was as dangerous for him as sailing down a big waterfall would be for us. Already he was so close that he couldn't stop. Then out rushed the boat, with the poor tin soldier holding himself as stiffly as he knew how. No one was going to say that he'd blinked. Three or four times the boat spun around, and by now it was full of water to the very top. Sink it must! The tin soldier was up to his neck in water, and deeper and deeper sank the boat. The paper came further and further apart and now the water closed in over the soldier's head. At this moment his thoughts turned to the pretty little dancer whom he was never to see again, and in the toy soldier's ears rang the old song, on, on warrior, forward to your death now. And then the paper came to pieces and the tin soldier tumbled through to be instantly swallowed by a great fish. My word, it was so dark in there, It was worse even than in the drain, and so cramped. But the tin soldier remained steadfast, lying full length, shouldering his rifle. The fish dashed about, making the most horrible twists and turns, but then at last it lay perfectly still, and all at once it was as if a flash of lightning had passed through it. The light shone quite brightly, and suddenly there was a cry of, "'Tin soldier!' The fish had been caught, taken to market, sold, and brought into the kitchen, "'where the maid had cut it open with a big knife. "'She picked the soldier up by the waist with her finger and thumb "'and took him into the sitting-room, "'where everybody was eager to see this remarkable man "'who had been travelling about inside a fish. "'But it was nothing to the tin soldier. "'They stood him on the table, and there... "'Well, what a strange world it is. "'The tin soldier was in the very room he had been before, There were the same very children, and the toys standing on the table, the splendid castle with the pretty little dancer still standing on one leg with the other high up in the air. She too had been steadfast. The tin soldier was so touched that he could have wept tin tears, only that wouldn't have done at all. He looked at her and she looked at him, but neither said a word. All of a sudden one of the little boys took the soldier and threw him straight into the fire, without as much as saying why it was definitely the -the jack-in-the-box that was to blame. The tin soldier was all aglow, and felt dreadfully hot, but whether it was the real flames or with love, he couldn't have said. His colours were all gone, but whether they had gone on a journey, or from grief, nobody could tell. He looked at the little lady, and she looked at him, and he felt himself melting away, but still he remained steadfast as he shouldered his rifle. Then. All at once the door opened, the wind caught the little dancer, and she flew like a fairy straight into the stove to the tin Soldier, where she burst into flames and was gone. And the tin soldier melted away to a lump, and when the maid cleared out the ashes the next day, she found him in the shape of a little tin heart. All that was left of the dancer was the spangle, and that was as black as a cinder. you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. In our next episode, we will continue to talk about Denmark and Hans Christian Andersen, and we will be reciting his longer stories, including The Little Mermaid, Thumbelina, and The Snow Queen. Please do tune in next time for more fairy tales back to basics.